This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by Beauty Bolt Party Wigs. Do you ever find that you can't spare the time for that little something extra on your coiffure? Do you wake up in the morning feeling like you've been shot out of a cannon? Do you wish your hair was like this, but you look in the mirror and it looks like that? Try our new Beauty Bolt washable party wig. You can wash it, crush it, screw it, boil it, and it still comes out band box fresh. Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm free. I'm Brandon. And I'm Jeff, and this is That Does Suit Madam, a podcast about Are You Being Served? All right. Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Mr. Jeff. Hello, hello. It is the first day of autumn here in the U.S. of A. And it Burr. has gotten remarkably cold very quickly over the past week. And now we'll just complain about being cold instead of being hot. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot, there's a couple things in the in the, the world to complain about, especially in the United States these days. But, you know, maybe this is a little refuge from all of that. And the listeners and the hosts would love to uh, extenuate, extenuate the, uh, the good things like are you being served, right? There you go. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we want to thank all of our listeners to con- for who are continuing to stick with us. Uh, we want to welcome Walter to the fray who just joined our Facebook page. And um, we've gotten a lot of messages um, from our super fans this week. Red hot super fan messages coming in. We had, we had the mail carriers come in with bags and bags of letters. I said, fellas, too much. Just bring one big gunny sack a day, okay? Three, three is too much. So we appreciate all the letters, but we'll get to them eventually. <laughs> so we got um, another... Another suggestion for the board game from Michelle. Oh, my gosh. uh, Saying uh, it could be the his and hers perfume rep uh, behind the perfume stand with a pair of garter grip stockings. Very nicely done. (laughs) Very nicely done. Um, We also heard from Jerry from the Peacock Hotline. So don't forget we have the 662 Peacock Hotline. So uh, Jerry left a cool voicemail and said, um, actually pertinent to this episode, his idea of the are you being served clue suggestion is it could be Mrs. Peacock with her umbrella (laughs) in Mr. Rumble's office uh, as the the murderer and the weapon. So that's very good. So thanks for that, That's great. Um, Superfan Gregory also drew us one of the clue cards using um, Mrs. Slocum's birthday present as the weapon. So that's pretty funny. I think we'll put that up on the Facebook group to share it with everyone. Totally. Awesome, Greg. Thanks for that. And um, he's a a cool guy. Um, Yeah, like anything that happened in the episode that could be vaguely violent or dangerous, that could (laughs) – any episode, it could be – I don't know, the Father Christmas who beckons warmly with his arms opening and closing. Maybe he closes someone, he closes and hugs someone too hard and they, they get squished and died. Or I guess it'd be old Mr. Grace in this case. Um, <laughs> yeah, so if you want to, like, you know, uh, Gregory, um, Jerry, like all the other folks, consider it a challenge. So who wants to challenge Michelle or Jeff or Jer- Jerry or anybody? It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun that yeah. they have the little things like that. So that's good. 
So while you're not busy drawing your clue cards, please remember to wear a mask and wash your hands while you're at it. Register to vote and Black Black Lives Matter. Matter. Yes, indeed. We have got a lot to unpack in this episode. Holy Um, moly. There's so much going on. So why don't we jump right into it? Let's do it. So what are we talking about? When did this air, Mr. Jeff? Take us back. So, we are talking about Season 4, Episode 6, Oh, What a Tangled Web, which originally premiered on May 12th, 1976. And that week in the news, the Montreal Canadiens won Hockey Stanley Cup, uh, which started a four-year championship streak for them. That's the one with the sticks and the little... And the ice. And the ice, yeah. That's the one with the ice. Good, That's good, not good. figure skating, yeah. Also, adventurer Tim Severin left Ireland for America in an attempt to trace the route of the legendary 6th century monk Brendan traveling in a leather boat that he handmade. What? Uh, his, okay, he hold wanted, on a minute. Okay, we need some background. This is not computing. So there's a dude named Tim, and he's trying to find this guy, Brandon. Well, I'm right here, people. I don't, I'm, I'm in New right, York. Right. No, Maybe so I misunderstood. There, so there's always been... And continues to this day a lot of questions about who was the first person from Europe to reach the New World. And before Columbus, there was Leif Erikson. And before Leif Erikson, there was uh, some other Viking explorer. But a lot of people believe that the very first person was St. Brendan, who traveled from Ireland to what is now North America. Well, I like in the sound his, of this. In his leather boat... Um, and so Tim wanted, Tim Severin wanted to prove that it was possible to journey across the Atlantic in a leather boat in the time frame that they said. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, so, so he, his journey took 13 months to row across the Atlantic. Uh, and on route, he stopped at the Hebrides and the Faroe Islands in Iceland. And he landed in Newfoundland in June 1977. So it took him like... Just a little bit over a year to get there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. On a leather boat. In a leather boat. Well, if he did it, I guess the Viking people did too. I mean, those Vikings, they got around, man, in more ways than one. Um. <laughs> All right. So um, the show opens uh, about a half an hour after the store opening, and Captain Peacock isn't in yet, Uh-oh. which is quite the scandal on the floor. Um, over normally, on the women's count. Sorry, because normally he's there like first thing. Like he's, he, first he's like looking at his watch very like authoritarianly and yeah, yeah. So over on the women's counter, the ladies are talking about Mrs. Slocum's interview for a buyer's job that she has later that day with some lady from personnel. Um, so a couple of episodes ago, other Jeff made a point that. Mrs. Slocum seems to be in charge of buying, selecting the goods, and she can change the prices at will. <laughs> Especially when she wants to buy it. <laughs> right. But now she's interviewing for a buyer's job. It, 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 we, we need to see an org chart and really understand how the responsibilities <laughs> are doled out at, at Grace Brothers. We will not stand by um, plot holes in this podcast. Thank you very much. Continuity, people. Continuity. Uh, Mr. Harmon enters with the Beauty Bolt Center Display Unit. Thank you to our sponsor this week. And he also tells the ladies that Captain Peacock isn't quite in yet. And Mr. Rumble's secretary isn't in either. So they Uh-oh. start, you know, they start the gossip train. Uh, 
Mr. Harmon once saw the both of them coming out of the duplicating cupboard together, also holding hands underneath the canteen table and using his blow tickler on her at the Christmas party. So, yeah, duplicating cupboard. cupboard. That was like, okay, is, the, is, is that what he's referring to as the lifts, I guess? Like, I don't really get what that means. So, before modern photocopiers that relied on taking a picture of something and then printing out copies of it. Which is funny because people don't even use those anymore because we're so old. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, there were two technologies around at this time in the late seventies that were that in popular use are usually called by the same name, right? So the first one is a mimeograph. And what you would do is you'd use a typewriter or a pen to cut a hole in a stencil and then use that to force ink through the stencil. And that survived most of the 20th century. That was the most popular. That was the most popular duplicating yeah, machine. Yeah, is that the thing that um, when you were in elementary school and everything came out with like purple ink? Well, that wasn't the one that was purple. The one that was purple was called a ditto machine or a Ronio or a spirit duplicator. And so rather than cutting a hole in the stencil, what it would do is you'd use a typewriter or a stylus to force an imprint on the back of a special wax paper. So if you think about like how a carbon copy is made, it's kind of like that, except it leaves an imprint like Braille. And then you apply the purple ink to that, and then you can print off copies off of that. But the purple ink you had to use evaporated quickly. And so those copies were not good for more than a couple of days or weeks, which is why the mimeograph survived was the surviving technology because the ink that you could use with those stencils was more permanent. You know, it's funny when I was like in I don't know, like second or third grade, you, maybe you remember this too. Whenever you would get like Santa Claus or whatever, and you'd like have to color them in with crayons and like cut them out, right? And make a little thing for your mom or whatever. I would always get pissed off as a kid because I would have to color over the purple print lines uh, with black. Yeah. And when it was such a joy, such a weird kid. But like, right, I mean, when you were a kid and like you got a black and white copy instead of a purple one, wasn't it like, oh my God, what a luxury. And then the purple ones smelled. They had a funny smell. They had a funny smell. People, and people loved them or hated the smell. I know people yep. who love them. My friend Lori loves it. Yeah. Oh, memories. So the ladies are listening to Mr. Harmon rattle off everything, and Miss Slocum starts putting it together in her head. Oh, yes. Oh, no. Like, she's got this great juxtaposition of remembering and recalling seeing them together and then putting the pieces together that he might be having an affair. Um, oh, yeah. Miss Bra- <laughs> Brahms comments, she's ever so common. Uh, to <laughs> coming which, from uh, her. <laughs> coming from her. To which Harmon goes back and says, well, it's not a matter of being common, darling. You ain't exactly Esther Ranson, are you? Um, and the captions screw this one up pretty bad. I think they said Easter Ranseed or something like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand what that is. But we got a really cool note. Well, actually, I stole a little note because... <gasps> Thief! Well, I knew we were doing Tangled Web this week. And I was zooming around the Are You Being Served fans Facebook group, which... You know, I bet a lot of our listeners come from, really. Um, but someone was saying, hey, what is that weird thing that Harmon says to uh, to Miss Brahms? Like, Esther Ran... Esley Ranseed or whatever the, 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 the captions called it. And this uh, this guy, what, uh, what did the note say? I don't remember what they said. 
So Scott, both Scott and Mark on the group said that Dame Ranson was a posh TV presenter of a show called That's Life, which was a humorous consumer reporting show. And she also established Childline, which is a, um, a free call-in number that children can call if they're experiencing um, abuse at home. So she was, okay, so she was, so Dame Ran- Ranson was probably like someone who's rather quite posh in British society. S- spoke very posh. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so it's almost the like, opposite of being common. It's like saying, um, oh, you're not like Robin Leach yourself kind of thing. <laughs> I, I, I think that there are more posh people than Robin Leach, but you, you get the idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and she's still with us. She is still around and um, still working with Childline. And being posh. Um, and being posh. Ms. Brahms has the best comeback to this. I think this is the first time she says this, which becomes one of her catchphrases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is, do you mind? We live in a detached house. Yes! I love it. And then he says, well, that's only because they've torn all the other ones around, right. down from... So basically, it was a row home with a row of homes, and they tore the one on the left down, the one on the right. So she's like, I live in a detached house, which in England is sort of like... if you have It's a, a big deal. Like if you have a, yeah, if you have a single-family house not being like a flat or a row home, because, you know, it's a small country, lots of people. So it's kind of cute. And that's another thing I think... Um, to be semi-detached, it's like a hierarchy, like everything in the show. The worst is to have a flat. The better thing is to be in a row home, right? But then the better thing after that is to be attached, but only to one other building. So basically like uh, like a duplex, we would say. It's called semi-detached because one half of your house is detached, the other one isn't. The penultimate is a detached house. So like you'll hear Captain Peacock say like, oh, we live in a det- detached House, but then he's always corrected. Semi, semi detached, Captain Peacock. So it's cute. So over on the gentleman's counter, they're also gossiping that neither Captain Peacock or Mr. Rumble's secretary are in yet. And it goes back to the Christmas party. And so Mr. Humphreys recalls that um, it was the postman's knock, it was very badly organized. I had a parcel with 12 stamps called out for three and got the night watchman. I don't know what he's saying, but I laughed because everyone else did. (laughs) So unlike sardines, this really is a children's kissing game, right? So the idea is that boys will pull from one set of cards and girls pull from another or anything else that has a number on it in this example. Like a a deck of uh, playing cards or whatever. Right. Or a a parcel with a number of stamps on them. And then one part person can call out as many numbers as they want that add up to their card. So Mr. Humphreys went first since he had 12. And so he called three. And then after that, he could have called nine or he could have called four and five, whatever, to get to 12. And whoever the woman was that was holding three would come over and give him a kiss. But instead of that, he instead of whoever he wanted to kiss him, he got the night watchman. (sighs) <sighs> if only he could have gotten the man who got away. I don't know. Maybe the night watchman was quite dishy. Who knows? Uh, apparently not, because he was very disappointed by it. Mm-hmm. Beggars and choosers. So, Mr. Lucas remembers that at the Christmas party, uh, she missed her last bus home, and Captain Peacock offered to give her a ride home to Reading, which is about an hour west of London. Hell, so that's very, a pretty far very way. Very kind of Captain Peacock. Yeah, that's a pretty far way away to just drop a friend home. Or a co-worker, even. Yeah, a young girl, a uh, young woman co-worker. Exactly. 
So the phone rings or buzzes to be more accurate. And Mr. Humphreys answers it, men's apparel, assistant 13 speaking, unlucky for some. <laughs> Love it. And it's Mrs. Peacock who wants to know if her husband got back safely from his conference in Birmingham. <gasps> he told a lie. I love how uh, Mr. Humphreys um, doesn't actually lie in this scene. You'll notice. He, that's true. He says nothing untrue because that wouldn't be what his mother would want, I think. Well, no, he's not actually fitting Fife Robinson for a sparring. Well, that's not true. That's true. But he, he doesn't say anything about Peacock. Right. He doesn't, right. He doesn't, he doesn't corroborate Peacock's lie. True. Um, so they're, they're continuing to gossip about this supposed affair. And Mr. Granger admits that about 25 years ago, there was a girl in haberdashery that he got into trouble. So Mr. Lucas doesn't understand. Do you mean with the supervisor? And Granger goes, no, in the club. So Lucas goes, oh, in, in the social club? Yeah. Did you, did you beat Granger her at, responds, like, at table tennis? <laughs> Granger responds, in the pudding club. Do you think you invented it? No, <laughs> yeah. So we talked about the Pudding Club a couple episodes ago. But as a kid, you I did. had no freaking idea what the hell this meant. Well, I, I remember as a kid picking up that getting into trouble was slang for getting uh, uh, someone pregnant. Um, and I just figured out that all of these other things were British <laughs> slang for it. It's, Didn't know what it meant. but It's funny you okay, say that in, because in the club. I'm just thinking back when I was a kid, like, what would I have thought be getting in trouble meant? And it was probably like going to detention or joining a gang and doing drugs. That's probably what I would have thought. You know where I probably learned the phrase getting into trouble is probably from Greece. Oh. Because Rizzo has a pregnancy scare. And I think that they use that phrase in there. The other one of my favorite uh, phrases in there is like, I feel like a defective typewriter. I skipped two periods. Oh, my God. <laughs> I need to see this movie everyone keeps talking about called Grease. I've never seen Are it. Are you kidding me? Or The me? Godfather, or... Anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to That Does Suit Grease, where we were talking about Kaniki and Rizzo <laughs> today. <laughs> um, almost on cue, Captain Peacock comes out of the lift carrying a woman's handbag, and Mr. Rumbled's secretary comes out of the other one with Peacock's briefcase. Oh, what a kerfuffle. They hastily switch, but everyone sees because they're looking backwards through their hand mirrors. <laughs> yeah. So they see the whole thing. It's so cute how they're trying to be, like, very inconspicuous and stuff. And, like, whoops, they have the wrong like, – it's, it's really cute. Yeah. I really like the um, woman who plays um, the secretary. She's, like, yeah. mousy enough and, like, really cool. And I love her That's accent. a great, great word to describe her, yeah. yeah. So she's played by Melita Manger. Uh, who never, who didn't act a lot, and she wasn't part of the um, Lloyd and Croft troupe. She doesn't come back in any future episodes. Um, this is, you know, a very brief stint for, I believe, this is the fifth secretary that Mr. Rumbold has had. They don't stick around very much. <laughs> no, they don't, right. <laughs> so, um, we, Captain Peacock is starting to give his excuse uh, about where he, why he's coming so late and whatever. And Mr. Humphreys breaks the fourth wall and tells the audience, the next object is a lie. A lie. Sorry, other Jeff. Yeah, um, that's our in-joke because for some reason we always think that he hates <laughs> when Mr. Humphreys breaks the fourth wall. Um, I don't know what that's, what that's about, but I ha it feels like the way he says it, a lie, a lie. 
he sounds like he's a game show announcer. So that's kind of yeah, what that's I assumed exactly it was. Right. That's exactly right. You know, it's a reference to the quiz show 20 Questions, where contestants had to guess what an object was by asking 20 questions. Um, in the States, if you think about early password, where they would announce the password to the home audience in that kind of low tone, it's the, the same kind of oh, concept. Oh, okay. I think I've seen – so I'm trying to remember password. Okay, two thoughts. Um, 20 questions, I've heard that term is like, okay – I don't know. This person was giving me twenty questions. It's like almost—I thought it was just a phrase of like being be riddled with questions. But it sounds like it was probably an actual TV show, and maybe that's where we got the phrase. Or maybe well, no, vice versa. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a popular parlor game. Yeah. Uh, it's you, you play you play it as children, you know, to try and get kids to learn about uh, deduction, right? So oh, you ask. Gotcha. You ask 20 yes or no questions to try and figure oh, out the yes what the subject no is. Okay, I'm with you yeah. there. I'm with you there. Yeah. Okay. So um, Peacock lies that he and Mrs. Peacock had overslept and the alarm failed to go off. Well, Lucas lets him know that the alarms are going off because Pe- Mrs. Peacock already phoned. <laughs> so the phone buzzes again and Captain Peacock answers it this time. This time, men's ready-made. So a different greeting than Humphreys gave. Mr. Humphrey does things the way he's, he does it his way, I guess. I That's say. true. That's true. Yeah. So Mrs. Peacock's brother apparently saw Captain Peacock driving through Reading last night in a car matching his description. So she's coming to the store to sort, sort it all out. Oh, watch out, Captain Peacock. Now, at this moment when Captain Peacock is on the phone, over his shoulder in the background, there's an extra customer browsing. And this customer looks a lot like Chris Christopherson, the 70s You're talking singer. about the Viking that discovered Newfoundland? <laughs> well done. <laughs> um, the singer from the 70s. And I think he's the first extra who looks modern because the, all of the other customers look very stuffy, very much like the people that you'd expect to shop at Grease Brothers. Almost, yeah, that's but he's true. Got, that's true because even like the mannequins and stuff, they look like they're from the 50s, you know, which is very square and – yeah. yeah. And which is like 20, 25 years in the past when this was filmed, which is crazy. Yeah. So Mr. Rumble's secretary, who we still don't have a name for yet, <laughs> yeah. um, it calls Captain Peacock's attention from the side uh, that Mr. Rumble wants to see him. And she kind of makes a disgusted face as she leaves. Wasn't sure what that was about, but yeah. I don't know if that was a character choice or something, but... Um, we, we see that Mr. Rumbold is taking down a statement from his secretary about why she was late. Oh, so you spent the night with Steven in a car shelter. <laughs> which, well, is a, which is a, like a garage, basically. Right. Or a, or a lay-by or whatever. It's um, No, I was with my friend Stephanie in Carshalton, which is about a 40-minute 40 40 drive south of London. So very far away from where she lives in Reading. Hmm. Um, and... Peacock then tries to get Mr. Rumble to corroborate his story, and he refuses to do so. Um, While Peacock is in the office, the secretary's father calls Rumble because he's been worried. And I think this just goes to show um, how not that long ago, uh, fathers had rights over their unwed adult daughters. Yeah, and you know that's that's another thing. Um, we added a little bit of a blurb on to um, Fifty Years On, which was published, um, gosh, moments after the world 
became aware that Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg had passed away. So um, it's interesting that now we're recording this episode. Um, we would have naturally talked about Ruth Bader Ginsburg whether she had passed away or not. So, you know, it just goes to show how important she kind of looms in in the world, you know. Yeah. Uh, one of the examples that has gotten a lot of um, uh, notoriety or, or a resurgence in, in, in common knowledge is that in the United States, a woman couldn't get a credit card in her own name without a male cosigner until 1974. And that was thanks to um, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, like, arguing this is what, that... 19, 1976, so like two years before this originally aired, like women yeah. couldn't get a credit card. Like you couldn't... Um, there's so many things that women couldn't do. Um, just kind of like where we're watching in this episode where this secretary's dad comes by and like he's getting all up in her business because that was probably really common for women back in the day like that, you know, so... Um, yeah. kind of weird. And, uh, so, yeah. so yeah, so Justice Ginsburg, uh, may her memory be a blessing and a revolution. So. Yes. And don't forget to go and vote and, res- and, uh, kind of, you know, help push that memory forward into something positive instead of wallowing in a, um, <laughs> pit of despair, of despair. Like it's very easy to do. Yeah. So the secretary's father had told Rumbold that he called Stephanie and the secretary did not spend the night with her. So it's all been a bunch of lies. Uh, the father is on his way to the office, too, to the, to the store. So there's going to be a lot of visitors uh, on, the, uh, on the floor today. Meanwhile, um, we find out that Mrs. Slocum is um, having her interview starting soon and um, she's going to be taking the interview in Mr. Rumbold's office. Okay. Harmon rushes onto the floor to tell Captain Peacock that his wife is here, <laughs> that she's already arrived. So I have to jump in. What's my favorite? I actually watched this earlier today, and I burst out laughing. So Harmon says, uh, "Captain Peacock, do you want the good news or the bad news?" <laughs> I love it when he does that. And of course, he's like, "Just get on with it. I don't care." You know, like my wife's about to be here. My mistress is about to be here, and his her father. So he says. Um, what does he say? Oh, um, Mrs. Peak. Okay, the bad news first. Your wife is just arrived in the basement or like the the lobby or whatever. The good news is they have bulletproof vests on sale. <laughs> <laughs> it's so stupid, and he just loves it. He's just eating it up. He's like, oh, all this juicy gossip. It's so funny. Yeah. Love him. So in this episode, Mrs. Peacock is played by Diana King, and she will make three more three appearances throughout the series playing uh, Mrs. Peacock. She is best known for the 1967 miniseries version of Pride and Pe- Prejudice, as well as uh, other shows such as The Very Merry Widow and You're Only Young Twice. Now, she's not the only actor to play Mrs. Peacock in the series. Um, Diana Lambert plays her in two other episodes and she was the customer in the last episode who bought the six pound fox from underneath mrs Slocum. really i didn't realize that she comes back in a couple of episodes in two episodes to play um captain peacock's wife it's funny how like they played things so fast and loose they're like ah, three or four different actresses for mrs granger mrs peacock why not people won't notice unless you're you know 45 years later and on a podcast there we go (laughs) Uh, so Mrs. Peacock is having none of Captain Peacock's excuses. And she tells him, if you're going to prevaricate with me, I shall kick you in the middle of the gentleman's department. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, and Captain Peacock um, is unaware of the innuendo as he usually is. He just right. thinks that he's going to get kicked in the shin on the floor. But that's um, great. Turns out that Mrs. Peacock has already changed the locks, flushed his dinner jacket down the toilet, cleaned his sho- shoes with his shirt, polished the silver with his tie, and swept the chimney with his pajamas. And Miss Joffrey remarks, well, she's very domesticated, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, <laughs> she must take out her anger by action because that's a lot of stuff. Yeah. So she storms into Mr. Rumble's office, but Mrs. Slocum is already in there waiting for her interview. This is so good. And we've got a case of mistaken identity here uh, because she's apparently never met Mrs. Slocum before or been to the store and recognized her. Yeah. And so they're asking, she's asking questions, trying to figure out if she's the mistress and Mrs. Slocum thinks it's the interview. And she tells the interview who she believes is the interviewer that I believe in jumping at every opportunity, anything to get out of underwear. <laughs> so <laughs> Mrs. Beacock is not too happy to hear how eager um, his, her husband's alleged mistress is. So she finally breaks down and says, you can take care of the gallant Stephen Peacock uh, and bring him his tea when he's sitting up in bed in those ugly striped pajamas. And Mrs. Silicon is all confused at this point. She's like, well, they never mentioned that when they advertised the vacancy on the notice board. <laughs> like part of her job <laughs> as being the buyer is making Captain Peacock's lunch and tea in the morning and evening. Uh, right. Very confusing. And I loved how Mrs. Peacock, she says, um, basically, like, she'll, she'll ask a question. I mean, it's the typical thing. Um, well, you, have you been working here very long? Oh, yes. I've been under, under the management for 10 years or whatever she says. And then, like, it's uh, taken. I've, I've, been at, I've been at it for 20 years. Yeah, exactly. So right, right, right. And then she'll say, oh, you're very brave, aren't you? And it's like, oh, I, I hope so. And I, I've, you know, <laughs> it's so cute. And how Mrs. Slocum is just so, you can tell, like, she really wants this job. And then at one point she says, will it help if I said I did? <laughs> she's just so eager. Poor Mrs. So Slocum. So eager to please, right? Um, yeah. Mr. Harmon uh, comes onto the floor with the co- color commentary. He's following every moment of the drama of the day. Uh, the secretary's father is here. Lucas calls for a glass of water for Captain Peacock <laughs> uh, and tells the crowd that Mrs. Peacock was last, seating, last seen hitting Mrs. Slocum over the head with her umbrella, as per the, the, the clue card. Yeah. Um, and so Captain Peacock goes chasing after her. He asks Granger to take over from him. Granger asks Humphreys to take over from him. And we see uh, a little bit of a Benny Hill dash with Mrs. Slocum taking the stairs as fast as I've ever seen her. Because she (laughs) usually has problems with those stairs. Um, And then the next thing is that the secretary's father comes looking for the person in charge. And Granger, proud to be taking over, uh, says, yep, he is the person in charge. And so the girl's father smashes her wedding cake over Mr. Granger's head. Oh, because God. for some reason he has the wedding cake a week early and brings it to the store to use as a weapon for, um, <laughs> that should be it. Mr. Hazelwood with the wedding cake on the shop floor. Ooh, I that's like, our, well, that's now our, that's our maybe someone weapon. was just about to email us or Peacock hotline us in, but, uh, you beat him to it, Jeff. You know, it's something as weird, um, as we'll learn later on the episode, uh, in fact, there's a really cool web, a, a cool um, podcast I've started. Um, we've never really talked about the other podcasts we listen to, but there's one called um, 
things you things you forgot to listen to while in history class. Hold on, I'm going to look at the name. But it's basically two real, two really cool women, and I think they've had several hosts. But it's just like stuff from history, and like they'll talk about. Oh, it's called um, Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's a cool one. And they did a really cool episode all about Queen Victoria's wedding. And I'm like, why would I care? But I, I started listening and I thought, well, this is really cool. So apparently almost everything of what we consider the modern wedding came from her wedding, uh, uh, Queen Victoria. Really? Yeah, like wearing white dresses. Like women didn't wear white dresses before that. Like they just wore their nicest dress. And, like, the, the wedding cake is a – when you think of a wedding, you think of a wedding cake, right? So um, the idea of having a tiered cake with white icing and that type of icing, it's called royal icing and because, it, because everyone mimicked what, what she did in her wedding. Um, before, it wasn't called royal oh, icing. It was just okay. called icing. You know, so all these little things. But in the, in the podcast, I learned that in Britain, wedding cake isn't, like – white fluffy yellow cake like we have in the states it's almost like a fruit cake it has like plums and what did you just call me <laughs> fairy cakes um yeah so that's interesting so when, when i was a kid we'd listen to like later in the episode um i have a sultana in my ear like why what the hell is that why is there a sultana like that doesn't why would make it be sense. in the wedding cake yeah yeah but so now we know that like it's made it's basically like a fruit cake so when you say wedding cake in britain it's a very specific type of actual cake it's not like the cake that looks tiered with white icing with a little couple on the top interesting yeah okay well, why don't we head on down to the canteen for a tea break and see if they have any fruit cake down there? I would love some. That sounds delicious. We'll be right back after a quick nip to the canteen. Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous? Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth. Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own That Does Suit Madam official tote bag. A handbag? Or an official podcast sofa pillow. Perfect for hiding your Paddington bear. We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup. And of course, t-shirts. But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear. Support your favorite podcast with some That Does Suit Madam merch. All at imfree.threadless.com imfree.threadless.com And you've all done very well. All right, well, we're back from the canteen from our tea break. And you know what? Uh, they did have some of Mr. Hazelwood's um, leftover wedding cake. And it was delicious. What that what I could scrape off the floor. Right. I mean, I was able to get some of like the simulated cream out of my nose, but <laughs> it tasted good when I was well, able to Well, I was going to say it looked right up your nose, Jeff, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, currant sultanas, salted almonds, delicious. Yeah. And we're going to continue on with a uh, new segment we have for the podcast called I, I Am, am unanimous, unanimous in This. In this. And what is the topic this week, Mr. Jeff? So in this segment, we just want to diverge from the, uh, the plot of the show for a little bit mm -hmm. and talk about just something British or English that we like. 
Uh, and so today, which ended, started as a joke in the last episode, uh, we're going to be talking about the band Erasure. I'm, I'm very deficient. <laughs> I'm picturing a pencil and um, vanishing coastline. I don't know. Tell me more. <laughs> For the very small age gap that's between us, it astounds me every time what is completely absent from our spheres of pop culture. But then again, you're, you're very young. I'm very right? young. So Erasure is a synth pop duo from England that started in the early 80s, uh, and it is made up of Vince Clark and Andy Bell. Uh, Vince Clark was originally in Depeche Mode. He wrote um, Just Can't Get Enough. Oh, okay. I've heard of that uh, one. And, That's good. And, and Clark was also in a band called Yazoo, uh, which was referred to as Yaz here in the States. Uh, and their three songs that you, pro- you might know are Only You, which was... Um, Featured heavily in like the the climax scene of the teen movie Can't Hardly Wait. Um, don't go and situation. Is that one that goes like, don't go? No, no, that's not okay. at all. Okay. Yeah, okay. So um, the two of them met because uh, Clark was looking to start a new band, and he placed an ad in Melody Maker magazine. Because that's the way that people used to form bands. Elton John got connected with um, Bernie Taupin, his lyricist, right. through an ad in a newspaper. Crazy. Yeah. Before record companies were manufacturing bands like NSYNC and Destiny's Child, independent artists wanted to find um, either musicians with certain skills or interests or whatever. Now so. we're going to get hate mail from the Destiny's Child people. Thanks a lot, Jeff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we love Destiny's um, Child. Erasure's first single was put out in 1985, which was Who Needs Love Like That? But their first real hit um, was Ola Moore, uh, which didn't really find success in the States until three years later when their third album, The Innocence, came out, which had um, their two most popular singles to date in the States, Chains of Love and A Little Respect. Have nothing to do with Chanson d'Amour. That's not, not a different that. thing. Not at all. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and so, yeah, I think that erasure is, I think that for, I think that for queer people growing up in the eighties and nineties, um, Andy Bell is somewhat of a, of a gay icon. Oh, okay. And I think that it's pretty, it's pretty hard to mistake his queerness, right? He's pretty, he's pretty campy. He's pretty flamboyant and he's pretty out there. Um, and there's when you're growing up as a queer kid in America, you get that sense of there's oh oh there's a little bit of sugar in his tank, you know, to to borrow a phrase <laughs> from the South, right? Yeah. And so it was just like that feeling of connectedness, like oh I think that we have something in common, and you get to know the music, and also the music is pretty damn good. It's catchy. Yeah. The lyrics are great. It's a great melody, easy to sing along to. Um, Jeff is so, actually yeah. like levitating off the ground at this point as he's recounting <laughs> his love for Erasure. And you know, it's you know, I totally relate to what you're saying. You know, watching growing up a little queer kid, um, Mr. Humphreys. I mean, I really, I've, I've, we've chatted with a lot of uh, the listeners to the podcast uh, on Facebook and all that, and pretty big gay guy population in the listenership. And we we have all all types, of course. But there's something about Mr. Humphreys, like back in the in the '90s, like there weren't a lot of 
uh, of, of people in the media and just representation. Like in the, in, no. Yeah, representation in the eighties. Like Erasure, I'm sure uh, Andy Bell was like, "Whoa, there's not a lot of those." Of course, now I'm thinking of like Culture Club and all these people too. But um, I, I mentioned Elton John, you know, just as uh, an aside there. Maybe next week we do Elton John because everything we've done is it starts with eggs, a. <laughs> Erasure, Elton John, Electricity, and then maybe after that we can do. Something E related? I don't know. I don't know. Eggleton? I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure there's a town in England called oh, England. We'll do England. That's easy. So there you go. Not so, bad. There you go. There you go. So back to the show. Uh, everyone is gathering in the boardroom. And Mr. Granger is still trying to get the bits of wedding cake that are stuck in his various orifices <laughs> in his head. Various orifices. Um, He's got current in both of his ears and simulated cream up the nostrils. Okay, so I know that Britain has a lot of different words for the things that us Yanks say. So when I was in England, I was like, okay, I want to get some currants. I want to get some sultanas and simulated cream because I've heard about these my whole life. I've never had them. What the hell are they? So currants are a fruit that are really... Um, that are related, they're a kind of berry. Um, they look like raisins, but they don't taste like raisins. Um, and you're, you don't know much about them because they're not allowed in the U.S. Because they carry a blight for pine trees. Oh, well, we like our pine trees. Um, yeah. In black currants, like Ribena is yep. like the national drink. Well, it's tea. But, I mean, if you... The national kids Yeah, drink. if you don't like tea or if you're just, I don't know, sugar-obsessed... Um, Ribena is a crazy, like, it's, well, now we have to explain what, what squash is. So, in the States, we buy our Gatorade or whatever, and it's not diluted. You drink it. High C or... Yeah, orange juice, whatever. Capri Sun, right. Yeah. But in Britain, and I really like it. Like, it makes so much more sense. And maybe we'll start a nonprofit, like, bring squash to America.org. Someone please register that domain and give it to us. Um, but over there they have like, um, sometimes they call it cordial, but it's basically like super duper concentrated juice liquid that you put into like a pitcher of water. And it might be like one part liquid, two parts water. I mean, it's super, super concentrated. Um, so Rabina is this stuff. So the funny thing is you'll see Americans go to Britain and they'll be like, oh, like Ribena, it's black currant flavor. People don't, like, Americans don't know that you're supposed, or that we're supposed to, like, dilute, dilute it, it a lot. And people will drink this giant bottle, which probably makes, like, 20 gallons of the drink. And it's very, very sweet. But, yeah, we just don't know what currants are. But over there, it's, like, a way of life. Yeah. Yeah, everything is, you can have everything currant flavored, you, the gum and candy and uh drinks and things like that. Mm. Um, they're starting to allow um, some black currants into the States. We can only have Chilean ones because they don't have uh, the fungus that uh, attacks the pine trees. Uh, so no um, no British or Irish currants allowed. Well, no, I'm sure some people are going to be like, it's my right as an American, so I'm going to disease all the trees because I want a, a little dried piece of fruit. So I hope everybody has current blight on their 2020 
um, <sighs> Apocalypse bingo card for October. <laughs> uh, but at least we'll anyway, have currants, so there is a benefit. At least we'll have some Ribena, right? <laughs> Um, young Mr. Grace is presiding over the inquiry over the affair, and Captain Peacock objects to the use of the word affair, uh, so Mr. Rumbold suggests occurrence, and Mr. Granger pipes up that he's going to sue for the currents in his ears. <laughs> and I love that he can't hear, you know, because he has he, stuff. Well, he can't hear to begin with, <laughs> and then, like, he gets everything screwed up, um... Mr. Rumbold is also saying we have to look into the assault witnessed by Mr. Harmon. <laughs> oh, I'm going to sue for that, too. The salted almond up my nose. <laughs> the fact that Mr. Granger, like, this is some really good writing and acting. I mean, the writing is so yeah. good. Um, Mr. Granger will overhear, misunderstand and mishear everything. And <laughs> I love whenever there's, like, ever a big group and he's just kind of, like, not even paying attention and kind of... He's in his own He's commenting world. extemporaneously about whatever. And then Mr. Humphreys plays mother and he's like, it's okay, I'll, I'll, I'll catch him up later. It's so sweet. <laughs> Love it. So Lucas is teasing Mrs. Slocum and she's like, right, don't you start. I'm just in the mood. Mm. And young Mr. Gray says, well, th- that was Joe Loss, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Which is, he, he's he, also in his own little world. He's not even paying attention. Right. He gets um, he gets an applause because people are like oh young Mr. Grace made a funny and it was actually yeah. real. Um, so the the reference here is to the song in the mood, which is a popular band, big band hit originally recorded by the Glenn Miller Orchestra. Uh, it was made popular in the UK by Joe Loss and Glenn um, Miller. Like that's the music that your grandparents danced to. Like this is like yeah. right after World War Two. Um, you want to hum us a couple of bars? That's all I can do. That's called In the Mood. It's peppy. It's like pre-rock and roll, but kind of like the people wanted to dance to it. So they needed something fast and kind of up-tempo. Yeah, you could like do the Lindy Hop too. Yeah. Oh, I. you know where else listeners might have heard In the Mood? Uh, if you think about the Golden Girls episode where they have the dance marathon, this is the song that Dorothy does her dance solo to. I think I'm pretty sure that's That is the, the gayest reference ever, but I love it. <laughs> so Mr. young Mr. Grace's secretary is taking down notes during the inquiry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We didn't even get there already. You're busting <laughs> so out laughing. Cute. I love it. Do you want to do? Do you want to do your young Mr. Grace impersonation? I mentioned here actually I think a couple line? episodes. I mentioned this, and now we're already here. You did mention this um, line. I don't know why. At one point, like they didn't want it. Like it's supposed to be a non-official meeting, right? And I don't remember the details, but someone says like this isn't an official meeting. This is just a general inquiry or whatever i think mr i'm gonna ask you a question and i have no right to do so and nothing you say is going to be used against you today or in the future oh yes and then he says it doesn't see much point does it (laughs) (laughs) and he's like the ceo i love it and then he says um something to the, the secretary um did you write all that down? Yes, Mr. Grace. We'll scratch it out. <laughs> <laughs> like he wants to first make sure that she got it all. But then since she did, now scratch it out. It's so cute. Yeah, I love him. So um, young Mr. Grace's secretary is named Miss Bakewell. Uh, oh, and she was actually in the last episode, but I, I don't think she, I don't remember if she had a line or a speaking part. Um, but she is played by Penny Irving Mm -hmm. and this actor will last, I think as long as young Mr. Grace does, I think she's all the way with him to season seven or eight or whenever it is that he leaves the show. Uh, and I'm wondering if she was named after the Bakewell tart. 
Yeah. So didn't I? Didn't we have? We must have talked about. I must we have talked, talked about, about Bakewell tarts before. So it's yeah. uh, until you just mentioned it, I never thought that like Bakewell, Bakewell tart. Like someone in Britain would be like, you hear the word Bakewell, you think of a tart, which right. is a very clever little pun. So they're still sorting out all everything that happened, and Miss Brom says, "Well, we'll have to send for Ellery Queen in a minute." Um, and Mr. Humphrey says, "Well, he'd be the best uh, Ellery to stand for, to send for Queen um, because he's a queen, right?" Uh, Ellery Queen was a fictional crime-solving author. Uh, think about an early Jessica Fletcher murder she wrote. Deal. Yeah. Okay. So Mr. Harmon finally calls in Miss Monica Hazelwood. We get a name. Oh, Monica. Right. Uh, who is staring at Peacock longingly throughout the entire thing. So Maybe she Mr. was Rumbled, in the mood. Maybe she was. Mm-hmm. Except that Mr. Rumbold flat out asks her, you know, did you have an affair with Captain Peacock? Oh, it's absurd and unthinkable. No. Disgusting. Oh. Right. Um, what is that accent? Do you know where she would be from? That accent is so I, unique. I have no idea. It is a very unique accent. I couldn't place it. I'm guessing somewhere north, first of all. Um, or is it Welsh, maybe? Is she? Well, she says at one point, uh, nobody. Nobody. Oh, he's so handsome. He's, he's so, so good looking. He's so good looking. Yeah. Yeah. Suddenly I'm picturing beautiful thing, just us talking like that. You, unanimous. If, um, if you know where... Uh, the actor uh, who played uh, Miss Hazelwood is from, or you could place the accent, let us know. Yeah. yeah. Um, all of a sudden, Mr. Granger pulls out a sultana out of his ear. <laughs> um, he drops it on Miss Brum's <laughs> chair, and she's all grossed out. And Mr. Harmon puts it away. But he's so happy because uh, he can hear it again. Yeah. Um, a sultana is a golden raisin, so a raisin made from green grapes. Oh, that's all it is? Oh. That's all it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so then Mr. Harmon calls in Mrs. Peacock, who bursts into tears when she sees Miss Hazelwood no. and realizes how young and pretty she is. Uh, Mr. Humphrey says, well, when I was in the Navy, we had a petty officer just like that. <laughs> I, I don't get that joke. I really wish I did. Um, so, someone who bursts into tears all the time. I know, but like... Uh, That's all that okay. is. Making fun That's for all what, the joke is. Making fun of men who are emotional, I suppose. Right. I want to go back to the Sultana really quickly. Sure. Isn't Sultana a lady's name? I swear I've heard women's name be Sultana. Right? I'm sure in some culture in the world it is, but I don't think it's an English name. Oh, maybe so. Anyway, Captain Peacock finally tells the story of what happened. Um, He admits to pursuing everyone with his blow tickler. True. And Humphrey says, I'll, I'll, I'll second that. I'll second um, that. <laughs> <laughs> and young Mr. And Grace. I love, uh, okay, I'm sorry. I love how Mr. Rumbold says, well, we were all rather excited with our blow ticklers. We'll just let that one go. <laughs> and young Mr. Grace tells his secretary, cross out the blow tickling. <laughs> cross out the blow tickling. That's so cute. <laughs> so Captain Peacock is recounting the story. Uh, he did hold her hand in the canteen because he was comforting her. Um, about discussing her upcoming marriage. Uh, he had a- she had asked for some advice and uh, thought that she was too young and inexperienced to get married. So um, he took her out to Beppo's for a coffee to talk about it, and Miss Hazelwood called off the wedding immediately. And this is where she starts crying with her Welsh question mark accent. What a fool I was. He was so good looking, and now he's got nobody. Nobody. 
Yeah. And he's crying. Um, she was upset in a state similar to the one at the inquiry. So uh, Captain Peacock gave her a ride home to Reading, but six miles away from her home, the car broke down. And because it was raining, they had to wait there all night until a patrol car came by because there were no cell phones to call AAA. Yeah, there's probably, I mean, who knows where they were. And um, yeah, it, it's so, first of all, I want to jump, jump in to say how ridiculous it is that they're having a trial <laughs> in the boardroom. Of course, you have to look up when you say the boardroom. Like, this is such a TV show thing, right? I mean, of course, it's a, it's a comedy. It's a fictional thing. But the fact that they're like, let's have a trial. Like, instead of a, um, let's just, like, have the whole party. Let's have the whole uh, department in on the very intimate details <laughs> Of this guy's uh, marriage, you know. Sup- supposed affair with um, his boss's secretary. It makes yeah. for a good television show, that's for sure. It does, but it would never fly <laughs> in a human resources department today. Anyway. So the cars broke down on the side of the road. Uh, Miss Hazelwood climbs into the back to get some sleep, and he stays awake behind the wheel all night trying to figure out how to explain this to the woman he loves, his wife. And then he, he concludes his speech... In the most Captain Peacock way possible. And like the, the camera's slowly zooming in on him. It's very dramatic. For after all, when the final account is balanced up in the book of life, we are men of integrity. What I've said is true, and I swear it, as a God-fearing man and an ex-officer of the Royal Army Service Corps. I just and he gets an applause. <laughs> I, I, I was expecting Humphreys to chime in with, I thought there was going to be um, something about all, any man who is a man must stand up and be counted, and Humphreys would chime, one. <laughs> <laughs> I, for some reason, I remember that kind of joke being here in this scene, but they must do it obviously in the future, not. Yeah. yeah. Um, everyone applauds. Mrs. Peacock is looking at uh, Captain Peacock just as longingly as Miss Hazelwood was a minute ago. <laughs> yeah. And Mr. Humphreys remarks, well, I don't think that people talk like this anymore. Which is so cute. <laughs> because what that's really, what that's kind of looking at is, um, you know, back in, like we talked about a lot or uh, a couple times, they will often reference stuff from the 50s just because they did. I don't know. But um, back in the 50s, like in the early 60s, people talked like that. They gave little soliloquies, little speeches where they talk about, um, what I've said is true, and I swear it as a God-faring man, and an ex you know, all these things. But then, like, in the, I guess, mid-60s, like, the counterculture, people stopped writing things like that for TV and movies. People talked a lot more real life. So it's weird to see, like, Captain Peacock in 1976 kind of do this, like, old-school kind of square little speech, which is kind of what his character does a lot in the show. Um, yep. And it's funny, too, how, like, all it takes is for him to, like, make a little speech. And then suddenly his wife is like, I love you, Stephen. You know. <laughs> so Mr. Rumbold closes out the inquiry by saying, um, bestowing his best wishes upon the peacocks. May you sail life's stormy seas into the calm water of old age safely and irremovably together. Aww. And we hear Peacock moan, we probably shall. Because he's not too keen on <laughs> Mrs. Peacock, is he? Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and that's the episode, and technically the end of season four. Whoa, so we are almost halfway through the series? Um, I don't think so. I think the episodes get 
I think the series get longer because this is what episode twenty five of the podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something like that, and there are seventy episodes in the series, so we've got a while to go. Okay, maybe when we have yeah. the thirty fifth episode, we'll have to like ring glass Half-time. a couple times or something. I don't yeah. know. So um, wow. So next week we get uh, we get a Christmas special in between seasons four and five where it's the Father Christmas Affair, and this is the one where they all audition to play the store Santa Claus. Oh, the one. I actually mentioned that episode. Um, it seems like just yesterday we did a Christmas episode. But just, uh, yes, Christmas crackers, just a couple yeah. days ago, I mean, it feels like that was... I mean, what I'm saying is this whole series, this whole year, fourth season, is what, four, to, four or five episodes? Six, six. Six episodes. Yeah, so it's like crazy. It just seems like we did Christmas crackers yesterday. So now we're doing basically a whole year has gone by and are you being served land? Yeah. Sheesh. Well, hey, um, good, good episode. Um, so ridiculous. And I think my favorite thing was um, <laughs> Mr. Granger with the, there's a sultana in my ear. <laughs> and then uh, he gets confused. But anyway, um, listen, if you want to get in touch with us, you can hit us up on Facebook. We're going to hit up Gary's uh, awesome drawing of... Uh, Mrs. Slickham's birthday. Greg. Greg. Sorry, Greg. Sorry, Greg. <laughs> um, we're going to get Greg's fabulous photo up there, so he'll get a little fame and glory. And um, we're also on Twitter. You can send us an email with all of your ideas about a um, clue killer um, from the show at that does seat madam. That's with an e at gmail.com. Or you can call our Peacock Hotline. What number is that, Jeff? That's 662 Peacock or 662 732 2625. All right. All right. And as we should always say in every episode, you've all done very well. Bye, Bye everyone. That does suit Madam is not endorsed by the BBC and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Are You Being Served is a copyrighted program of the BBC, sanitized for your protection.